Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of this Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh who will be taking you through to some of the marquee fixtures on match day 2 in the UEFA Champions League. We'll be taking a look at what happened at Old Trafford as Galatasaray registered a victory over Manchester United there. We'll also talk about what happened in the St. James's Park as PSG were thrashed by 4 goals to 1 by Newcastle United. We'll talk a little bit about the game between Barcelona and Porto at the Dragao, but we will have to start at the Maradona, where we saw Real Madrid taking on Napoli in a very, very interesting Champions League game, which ended in a 3-2 victory for the Los Blancos. So what a night it was at the Maradona, where Real Madrid came up victorious in the end, beating Napoli by three goals to two. It was a very good game, a close game, very much flooded with individual errors, some Freaking individual quality, that from Fede Valverde getting the last goal for Real Madrid. But uh, yeah, a lot to talk about this one. I think this was by far the best game of this midweek in the Champions League. You have to give it. Um, maybe even Marseille against Brighton was, was was fantastic. But yeah, this was, this was just amazing to watch. I thought uh, the way uh, Carlo Ancelotti handled his troops after that loss against Atletico Madrid, you have to... Uh, Tip your hat to him because he's now, with the squad that he's got, it, it's not easy to be at the top of a group when you've got teams like Union Berlin and Napoli you've got to face. And then he's also at the top of his uh, uh, of his domestic table now. He's leading the table by a point. That's It is what it is. But yeah, he is leading the table by a point. There was a loss against Atletico Madrid. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. Just a brief uh, on that loss. But yeah. There is a lot to uncover from this game. I thought this game was really good. The way Napoli started as well, just fantastic. They get a goal, of course. It was a mistake from Kepa Aritha Balaga. I mean, there is a mistake in him. He's not good at crosses. That's something that uh, Carlo Ancelotti has also touched upon. Uh, he's, he's not touched upon time and again, but there is a weakness there, and he knows that that is going to be uh, tested across. And... There is a template now that will be um, exposed by a lot of teams around in Europe and also in La Liga. That if you wanted to, that you want to uh, test Real Madrid, the best way is to pin crosses around. The one thing that you know that might work in their favor in the Clasico is that Robert Lewandowski has gone off injured uh, against the game against Porto, so he won't be available for the Clasico. So that's a big miss. But then again, you've got you know. Players like Rona Aral who would come in on those corners and stuff, and that that might just create a bit of chaos. But that Clasico is not around to for us to discuss for now. We'll discuss it later. But for th- this this entire game was a catalogue of how you can expose Real Madrid. I think Rudiger did a very good job, but there were two or three instances where Victor Osimhen did get ahead of Rudiger, and I, I I still believe there is a lot to build upon in this defence. I know there is no Alaba, there is no Militao. You have to rely on Nacho and uh, Rudiger to be your primary centre-back pairing. I think they will do well. The big game now against... Uh, I don't know whom they're going to face at the weekend, but whomever it is, you, I, I think Granada facing Barcelona, I'm not so sure whom Real Madrid are facing, but um, yeah, whomever they are facing, they're going to have the same template, template where they're going to spam crosses in the front areas, where you're going to have Rudiger absolutely 
pinned across with the center forward. That's how there you you have to see that there is a weakness there. Even on that corner, I think Kepa makes an absolute mess of that. But then that's a, that's a very fine header by Leo Ostergaard and he gets a second Champions League goal. I think he's he got a goal last season against Liverpool as well, but yeah, I think there is a certain weakness around there if crosses are pinged into the box. Kepa is a bit unsure. He's a bit tentative as well in some areas. Um, but the one thing that he is, he's a good shot stopper, and I'll give him that. He's a bit tentative in his passing as well. He, he's not Courtois, let's be honest about him. About him, and he's, He is going to show a bit of vulnerability whenever there, he's up against it. But... That is the reality of the situation. Courtois is not going to come back this season. Neither is Edra Militao. So one thing Ancelotti knows how to do that most managers in the world is to cope with adversity. And that's what he's doing right now. He does not have a striker, albeit he's, ha he's having Joselu. But Joselu is Joselu. He's not, your, he's not the Victor Osimhen or the Harry Kane or Erling Haaland of this world. He's not going to give you that presence like Benzema used to give him. So he has to cope with that. He has to cope with Rodrigo not being in his full form. But the thing that he has at his disposal is Jude Bellingham. He has Vinicius Jr. again back to his full best. He did play against Girona. He had some minutes against Las Palmas. So that's good to see him back. Um, the game against Napoli, I thought, I thought the, the way those two guys, Bellingham and uh, Vinicius, complemented themselves, it was really good. I think Vinicius is still recovering to full fitness or is still tracking himself back to full fitness. I think the best thing that could happen to him is to not go out uh, on international duty back to Brazil, which will take his own toll on himself. But I think, you know, if he stays at Madrid, I think Brazil can easily cope up with uh, Vinicius Jr. not being there, with playing Gabriel Martinelli in that position. But as I said, you know, Vinicius, I think he, if he can stay in Madrid and train himself around and be fit for the games against against Barcelona, which will be after the international break. I think that could be important and that could be crucial and that could be very detrimental to what Real Madrid do. Again, the one thing that I would like to touch upon is that I love Rodrigo. I love him to bits, but the thing is that he's shot on confidence right now and you need to show some players their place when they're not good, they're not playing well. And for now, Rodrigo is not playing well. I think with Joselu, what you get is that you get a centre-forward. You get a centre-forward around whom players like Bellingham and Vinicius can play around, play off on. He's not your Benzema kind of a centre-forward who would uh, link up play in the deep areas with the midfield and then put Vinicius up, uh, up front with him on those runs. He's not that kind of a centre-forward, but he's someone who will be a target man, who will be a menace in the box for defenders. So you can have your team around to play with Vinicius and Bellingham. But yeah, I think you know now you have to make a decision and you have to say to Rodrigo, you know what, in the, in now until you get your confidence back, you're not going to be playing as a starter in the team. You get in Hossel, you put him in that team. I think games against Braga are the games where you thrust in Rodrigo and rest someone like a Vinicius Jr. just to manage those minutes and see where if uh, Rodrigo can get his form back. Uh, I think the one thing that I would also like to touch upon that is Brahim Diaz needs to start more, or not start more per se, but uh, he needs to uh, he needs to play a bit more. He needs to get some minutes under his belt because what we saw against Las Palmas, what we saw against those scrappy minutes against Atletico Madrid, or whether it's Girona, 
whether it's the game against Napoli, he is showing a lot of uh, character. He's showing a lot of um, grit in his performances. He's showing a lot of things that you know you don't see from Bellingham. I think Brahim Diaz. Although Bellingham's done really well at the number 10 position, Brahim Diaz is someone who understands that position well. And if you look at it, keep the Girona game aside and the, and the Napoli game aside, before, before, before those two games, in all the other games, you would say that the number 10 position was played very well by, by, by Brahim Diaz in that Las Palmas game. Dan Jude Bellingham in all the games that preceded it. So you need to make sure that you need to get more out of Brahim Diaz because he's going to be useful for you. The one thing that really pisses me off is the injury to Arda Guler because I think if he comes back, the position of that right wing or the problem on that right wing can really get sorted out. I still think Brahim Diaz can play there as well because he did that for Milan the last uh, in the last few uh, matches of the season. He played there against Napoli as well in the Champions League game. So he, he can do that. So I think there is a possibility that we see a lot more of Ocelo alongside Vinicius. And also, I would like to see Brahim Diaz in that starting eleven, um, Or rather, you would say, you know, you could get his uh, minutes uh, prioritised a lot. Um, moving on, uh, we have to also talk about the goals that Real Madrid scored. The first one was a mistake from Giovanni Di Lorenzo, something that we don't see enough. Oh, no, no, I mean, not see enough, but something that we don't see often from Giovanni Di Lorenzo, an experienced international player, the captain of your side. You cannot do this sort of mistakes. But the thing is that, you know, Vinicius took his goal really well. It's it's not really um, an easy goal to take. Um, it's a very tight angle and he swept it past beautifully. Uh, Alex Meret and you know it, it's it, it was one all. Then the goal from Bellingham is just pure magic. Something that we now have to expect of him. I mean, there is a thing with people around the Premier League and stuff like that. They're saying that you know what Bellingham's doing is amazing. No, if you're playing for Real Madrid, he has to do that. It is a responsible jersey that he's wearing. It's it's a position of great responsibility now with the adversity that they have. Uh, in the uh, in the attacking area, Jude Bellingham's job is to is to show up. It's the people who watch the Premier League and watch Manchester United and Chelsea and teams like that. They they see Tottenham and all those other guys. They see them, you know, playing mediocre football all these time around. They say Jude Bellingham playing Real for Real Madrid and putting up shows week in and week out. That's what he needs to do. It's not Manchester United. It's not. What the what they will do, you know, it's not a mediocre club anymore that he's playing for. I mean, although he was playing absolutely brilliantly for Borussia Dortmund, it's it's not like the Premier League that he is going to be playing. Uh, he's going to show up every once in a month. It's it's not like that. So brilliant from Jude Bellingham. Uh, they get the goal. I think they played really well. Then the uh, goal comes back from that dubious penalty decision. I mean, I don't know how that penalty has been given, but that's a stupid penalty. That, that that pisses me off, really pisses me off with the, the way that penalty decision... I mean, what sort of... I mean, what sense are you going to make of that? Like, come on. It's, it's just so blatantly visible that it's not a penalty there. And then you go with uh, all the other things that came up. Uh, for instance... Um, uh, for for instance, the the Valverde shot—that's just amazing. I mean, 
as as much as everyone would like it to be Fede Valverde's goal, it is an own goal. I mean, you could say that if Alex Merritt was not in, the, was not uh, trying to jump to save that ball, that the ball does not go in. It's as simple as that. The only reason why the ball is in the back of the net is because it hit Alex Merritt on its way off the crossbar. So. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I think if you're Real Madrid, you take all three. Uh, you take these three points away from your biggest rivals. Um, as far as uh, as far as Napoli can say, it's a big loss. Of course, it is. But they won against uh, Braga away in Braga. That was that was again very fortunate because of the Niakte uh, mistake at the very end. Now, the two games against uh, Union Berlin are going to be very very interesting to see because. Union Berlin are a very stubborn side. Yeah, they did lose their two games in the group stage. But, of course, I mean, we've seen Union Berlin play that well. They're a very good side. They're a dogged side. They will give you a game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's a lot to play for Napoli. I would be very surprised if the outcome is anything but Napoli getting a place in the round of 16. Uh, the other game in this group was Braga against Union Berlin. Um, Braga played really well. They came back from 2-0 down in the game away against Union Berlin. So not an easy place to go. Um, not an easy game to go uh, and, and score those goals. Uh, it, it's, it's a good result uh, for Braga. They played really well. Even in the first game against Napoli, they should have uh, got something out of it. But unfortunately, they didn't because of that mistake from Niakte, as I said before. But it is what it is right now. I think... Um, the games against uh, Union Berlin for Napoli are going to be very crucial. As far as Real Madrid are concerned, I think they will be fine against Braga. Uh, there's a good relationship between the president of uh, Braga and Florentino Perez, as much as I know. So it will be a very good game to watch out. Uh, the Braga Stadium is just beautiful. Uh, the the quarry, as they say there in, in Portugal. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, as far as uh, the off-the-field nonsense that's going on around in Napoli, I'd like to touch upon that. Uh, it's really, really sad to see a team like Napoli, a, a franchise like Napoli, going through all this. I, I, I feel sorry for Victor Osimhen. I feel sorry for all the fans who felt disappointed by this act of stupidity from the Napoli social media account handler and all those guys. I mean, I'm sure that whenever these things like the coconut video or the penalty video or there is another video that they're going to be investigating now, all these things... When it comes around, I'm sure that there would be some somebody else as well who needs to be consulted before these uh, things are put on the internet. There has to be someone. And I can understand that these things can happen by a person. And he might not be a racist person by nature, but he's just a, a guy who's got a thing or two about comedy or stuff like that. It's, it's not comedy here. But yeah, let's say it was his intentions was just to promote... Some comical reference to this. But surely there has to be more people involved in it. And not everyone have their fuses just going off like that. I, it's just impossible for me to understand how... I mean, the coconut thing is something different. I can, I can excuse that because it's a trend and stuff like that. Victor Osimhen and a lot of people found it racist. I'm not a black person, so I cannot relate to that. But I can still, you know, not understand it, but, you know... In many ways, if you're a person with heart, and I think Victor Osimhen has forgiven that person, he might just forgive him. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an act of forgiveness. It's not really something that you should be, you should be doing. It's, it's, really, it's really poor thinking there. 
with a penalty one. I mean, who mocks your own player for missing a penalty? Who makes joke videos on on on, on your on your own player and and a person who was so detrimental to the biggest success of your city on in footballing terms in over three decades? Uh, who 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 does that? I mean, let, come on, it's just so stupid from Napoli. I think they've done the right thing into just fire those guys who were there irresponsible for this. I, if, if they have done that. Um, uh, I, I'm completely with Victor Osimhen. If he wants to go uh, into legal things with this, he's fair to do that. He's come out and said that he loves this club, he loves the fans, he loves the city, and he is he he'll do everything for this club. But the thing is that he found that offensive, and I think I'm uh, it's it's completely normal with that that he's found it offensive. He has to find uh, a, a way out of this. The, the things it's it's just not really matching up the. The entire fiasco of Rudy Garcia, the things that happened with Quicha Quaratskele as well, the week, the week preceding that uh, that substitution of Victor Osimhen, he seemed to have lost the dressing room as well. They're not so sure about the centre back pairing as well. So there is a lot of things that they need to they need to figure out before the, the these things come up again, because um, one thing's for sure that. Uh, these things are not going to be swept under the carpet so very easily. The games against Frosinone have helped. The, the, the last game has also helped where Osimen did not score, I guess, but Quaratskele did. I mean, the Frosinone game really helped sweep a lot of, lot of the ruck under, under the carpet. So, um, yeah, I, I think after the international break, the, the need to get back to business. The game against Lazio has not helped. It did get a lot of uh, the substance under the carpet out. I think Rudy Garcia will not be the manager. He will not finish the season off with Napoli. There will be time where they will have to think about getting somebody else out, uh, getting somebody else in the in in the job. But for now, I think um, with Rudy Garcia there, the, the things are not looking that fun. I think they have uh, muted out some things for now. But I think there is a lot to lot to come up with Napoli, and I think. Uh, it's, it, it really might get a bit worse that before it gets better for Napoli. I, I, I just fear that with this club. Welcome to a new chapter of Manchester United and their homelings this season, written by Eric Ten Hag and company. This was part Z of this chapter where they were beaten by Galatasaray in, uh, at Old Trafford. And this, this was another game where, I mean... They're lucky to be getting out of this out of this game by just a three-two scoreline because it could have been more. It could have been worse. The only positives that you can get out of this victory is uh, of of this loss uh, rather is um, the performance of Rasmus Hoyland. I mean, apart from that, it, I mean, you could point out every single player in this team and they were dog shit. I mean, Bruno Rashford. I've said this a long time now. Bruno Fernandes is not a good player. He has he he's a player who has good moments. He's very very selfish. He's very he he's very impatient. He's not that good on the ball. So I don't understand how he is going to be the face of this Ericsson Hart team, where it was all about patience. It was all about intricate passing. It was all about patterns of play. But you know you've got Bruno Fernandes. You've got nothing of that to come along with it. So he's one Rashford who certainly was a second coming of what? I, I don't know, but 
uh, maybe Ruud van Nistelrooy. Where, where's all that gone now? Where's all that confidence from last season gone? And let's let's be completely honest about ourselves here. Eric Ten Hag and the entire Manchester United fan base who was who was riling behind Cristiano Ronaldo for not pressing and not being a part or not or, or being a liability in modern football the uh, last year. They need to write an apology letter for, to Cristiano Ronaldo for it because Ronaldo put in more effort at 37 than Rashford is putting. He put more effort in one match than Rashford has put in the entire season. He thinks that he's some big thing around there. He's doing nothing. He had one goal against Arsenal and give him that. It was a good goal. But apart from that, he's been dog shit. He's been awful to watch. He, he, he's not even bothered to track. But I mean, if you look at some of the clips in that Brighton game, he was embarrassing. He was literally embarrassing. Even in the Arsenal game where he should have and he could have got that ball squared with Bruno Fernandes when he was in a good position, he did not. Even in this game, he, he's short of confidence. He is not good enough and he still plays for Man United ahead of Alejandro Garnacho, who had a brilliant game against Crystal Palace. He is someone who, 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 after watching him, you would feel that he wants to do something for this team, but he does not play him. Why? Because he's got Marcus Rashford and he's too scared to put him out of the team. But he did that with Ronaldo. So there's something around there to, to really think about it because he does not play. He does not take off Rashford. He does not want to um, make amends with, uh, uh, with, with putting out Anthony because now that Anthony's come back, he'll be starting again in, in that game against Brentford. So uh, it's, it's, it's just so comical, this entire situation right now with Manchester United and I uh, and I don't blame the fans for chanting Eric Ten Hag out because he's someone who's 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 driven this entire thing and he's coming around waffling about this uh, standards to set and this that and the other um he talked about Ronaldo having to earn his place last season and now he's given this entire position to Andre Onana and he's making these sort of errors where is the earning of position now coming there but how is Bruno Fernandes earning his position oh let's let's just keep Bruno one side but how is how are players like Anthony earning their position how is how are players like let's say Marcus Rashford earning their position as well they don't earn their position in their side Facundo Peistri shows me a lot of passion in it. Yeah, he might not be of that quality, but he shows a lot of passion. He shows a lot of character when he comes on the pitch. Alejandro Garnacho does that. Eriksen, he's got his limitation, but he does run around a little bit. There are players who do show a lot of passion in that team, but they're not in the, they're not in the starting eleven. Uh, the team players like Rashford come around and all this. I, I don't want to talk about this team anymore. It's just... It's just gone out of out of hands now, but uh, yeah, as I said, you know there there's a lot to come around with uh, with with all these players. They're gonna go away to Brentford next weekend. It's not gonna be easy. It's not at all gonna be easy. The one I mean, if you look at this entire season, it's been awful for Manchester United. I mean, at this point, if I say that Ole was better than Eric Ten Hag, it won't be wrong with the with the worst set of players. Under his disposal, he was better than Eric Ten Hag. If you look at the games that United have won this season, the best game that United have played this season, if you'd be shocked to hear, the best game United have played this season 
was the loss against Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. Apart from that, they've been dog shit. And of course, you could put in the Crystal Palace game where Palace played a B-side. But apart from that, they're not being good enough. The four games that they've won this season were away to Burnley, where they played, where they got played off the park, and they and Burnley should have scored two or three goals in the first half itself. The game against Wolves, they got dominated. They Matthias Cunha and uh, who was the other guy? They, they could not score, and they got robbed of a penalty at the very death. And the third game was against Nottingham Forest, where they. They were two 0 down in fourteen or ten or fifteen minutes, and they got, and they got themselves back into it, but some dodgy penalty decisions and whatnot. But apart from that, they've lost all their other games. They were played off the park by Brighton. They were played off the park by Tottenham to a certain extent, even Arsenal. I mean, the entire game plan for Arsenal, Man United looked like a team like Crystal Palace or Burnley when they went away to Arsenal. They did get a bit of substance out of it, but. It was just so much that he can hang on to. They, in many ways, were outplayed by Bayern. The, the scoreline does not suggest it, but yes, they were. And yeah, what else to say? It's 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 not been a great start of the season. I don't know how he turns the ship around. I think they need someone in that middle of the park to help Casemiro. And let's be honest, people are going all about Casemiro. Casemiro, my good, Casemiro needs help there. He really needs help there because it's it's not about him getting the red card. He should not have got the red card. Let's be honest about it. Because the first yellow that he got was not a yellow card by any any stretch of the imagination. And I don't know where has Casemiro lost his, um, his invisible cape of not getting yellow cards. Because at Madrid, he used to dodge all those yellow cards, which were clear yellow cards. He used to dodge them and now he's getting yellow card for absolutely no reason there. And of course, the second yellow, it's well documented. Why he did got, why did he got, get the second yellow card? Because of Onana's mistake. And yeah, he was at the mistake for the penalty. He, was, uh, he, he made some really poor decisions every now and then. And you've cost your side a player now. And I, I don't know where to, where, where to go with this. But United, United are not going to go out of this group if they play like this. And if anyone's watched the game against FC uh, between FC Copenhagen and Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich should have lost that game as well. Bayern Munich should have lost the game against FC Copenhagen away in Copenhagen. And if that's the case, you can just imagine what they're going to do with, uh, with 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 Manchester United, because Elianusi had those big chances. They they should have scored three or four goals there. FC Copenhagen just just not had the shooting boots on. It's 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 going to be a tough night for Manchester United, home and away, against Copenhagen. If they do squander those two games, I mean, they're looking at Europa League and maybe they just might be looking at not just Europa League, but elimination from Europe altogether. They're not great shakes in the Premier League and I would be very surprised if they have a very convincing performance against Brentford at the weekend as well. They need to get something out of it. I, I think the only positives that you can get from Man United... Our guys like Hannibal Mabry. Casemiro's been decent. I don't know why people are waffling about him not being the problem right now or him being a liability because he needs help. Mount's been good. So these are three players, Casemiro and Hoyland and Mabry and Mount, I would say have been good. <coughs> uh, Dallas fallen off a cliff. So you need to see what you need to do there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that you need to play... Uh, Sofian Amrabat as your left back. 
you can play him in the midfield next time around. That would give you added security. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's just been dog shit from Manchester United. A word on uh, Galatasaray. I mean, they believed in it. They they were very, very good. Uh, I thought Davinson Sanchez picked up two really good cross. I mean, Davinson Sanchez got two assists at Old Trafford. That's just, just staggering. Uh, Zaha took his goal really well, but that was just a mistake there from Dalo. who got out-muscled by Wilfred Zaha. That's just not good enough. That's just not acceptable if you're a Man United defender. Um, apart from that, you had um, the other things that, that they need to cope up with. I mean, Andre Onana playing out of the back. I don't know. I mean, people might say that they needed a progressive goalkeeper. I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean... I can easily see David Hare making all those mistakes as well. But the thing is that David Hare saved a lot of shots. And Andre Onana is not. So there is a mistake there. One thing that you could say about Andre Onana. That he might have a big upside to David Hare. Over the next two or three years. So that's that. I'm not so sure about the back line. I mean Varane and Lindelof. I mean Lindelof can play right back. So you might have to go with. Maguire and Varane in your next game as your two centre-back pairing. I think they need a centre-back in January. They need to get... Uh, I mean, there are, there are rumours around that Lisandro Martinez might be out until February or March. I mean, that's a hell of a time to be out. I mean, they need to get Luke Shaw back as well. Um, they need to play a lot more of... Uh, uh, of, um, of Alejandro Garnacho because I'm just fed up. I'm just done with Marcus Rashford playing with that left wing because he's just not giving you anything. And I know that he does a lot of good things for homeless children uh, with the food and everything. But he's not just cutting the mustard for me at Manchester United right now. So he needs to, he needs to be on his backside on the bench and he needs to be shown that he, you, you need to earn your place right there. What do you talk, uh, what do you talk uh, in the press conference about the pressure, about the situation, about the... Uh, mentality that a player needs to have when he's playing for United, do show it. Do show it on the field as well, Ten Hag. And if this does not work out well, I think the end is nigh for Eric Ten Hag. And it might just be near if they don't go through against Copenhagen. I mean, it's just going to be very embarrassing. It really would be. So now let's move on to the St. James's Park where we had Paris Saint-Germain absolutely thrashed against uh, Newcastle United. They had no answers for the onslaught that was, uh, uh, that was on store there in, uh, uh, in, in the northeast of England. And I, th- I thought really Newcastle played extremely well. I, I was a bit sceptical about them turning up for big Champions League nights, first of all, because they did not have enough experience. And secondly, because their manager, Eddie Howe, in the build-up to the season. He said that the main thing was the Premier League and whatever happens in the Champions League is secondary success. But I thought the way they played in this game, I think it was just in- incredible. I-, I-, I really thought they played extremely well. They had everything going for them. Um, I thought uh, the midfield especially was brilliant. And, you know... I. <laughs> For, for for a long time now, we've seen at, uh, at Paris Saint-Germain that the, that the players are the ones that have thrown the managers under the bus and some of, or the main reason for PSG's failure in the Champions League has been down to the big personalities, big players, 
some players who are shrugging off responsibilities at the, at, at the wrong moments. But this time, it was not about the players, it was the manager who set the team up to fail, in my opinion. Because when you're going up against a team like Newcastle, who will have hostile atmosphere in that, uh, in, in, in that ground, you put in two midfielders against the physical midfield of Sean Longstaff, Bruno Guimaraes, and, uh, uh, and who's the other one? Uh, Sandro Tonali. You have three guys who are physically very good. And uh, you would say that these guys have got less experience, but in theory they don't. You look at Sandro Tonali, he's got good experience with Milan. And then you've got players like Bruno Guimaraes, who's had relatively bit more experience than both of Warren Zaire Emery and, uh, and Manuel Ugarte. So you put those two guys out in front of a pack of wolves who are going to chase them down for the entirety, for, for the entirety of uh, the 90 minutes. And then, on top of it, you've got a front four in where there is... There is absolutely nothing. I mean, Mbappe was playing as a 9, as a 10. Colomani chucked out. What is Colomani doing on the wide left-hand side? I thought I thought Mbappe wanted to play there. But now he's not playing there. You've chucked in both your centre-forwards in, uh, in that same game. And then you've got Dembele, who's... who's I mean, he's, he's a spoiled kid, isn't he? And he's still going strong at a big club like PSG. That's, it, it really is very baffling, isn't it? But, you know, it is what it is. You, you really don't get surprised these days. But really, Luis Enrique, what was he thinking? Uh, um, by the way, uh, I would like to also highlight Marquinhos, who surely, I mean, there, there, is, there has been a catalogue of disastrous moments in the Champions League that Marquinhos has dished out. And this was another one in, in that catalogue, in that same category, it's just amazing how PSG find themselves in these positions. They've got the games against Milan, home and away, now coming up in the Champions League. And if, if you're a PSG fan, do you think that they're going to win those games? I mean, they were unconvincing against Clermont Foot. They could not score. They could not play well against Toulouse in the Ligue 1. The only games that they've won are games against Lens, Lyon, Lyon who are in a terrible state, and Marseille... That's it. They've not won, and, and Dortmund, of course, but they're not able to go on a roll. They're sixth or fifth in the table right now in the league on. I'm not really, I, I don't really care about the league on because at the end of the day, you know, they're most of the teams that start off well, they're good teams. They just don't have that, it in their squad to sustain it for a, for, for a time of 38 games, and it really takes a toll on them. But for now, I, I just think, you know, this just this this team even under I mean we know Luis Enrique is a stubborn manager he likes things his ways he is uh, really gonna what do you say he, he he'll take a loss but he'll not move away from his principles that's good but when you think when, when you see that there's something very obvious staring in your face and that's wrong I, I don't understand how that how that does not feel right to change but anyways it is what it is with Luis Enrique you can't change that. You can't. Um, you you can't change that for the better. But um, for Newcastle, it's a good thing that they've got a victory now against Paris Saint Germain. They've got. They're going to get two very good games at uh, at at the uh, 
St. James's Park, one against Dortmund, which is very, it's, it's going to be very tricky. You see a Dortmund Arab side who've got experience in Champions League football. There are players in there who are seasoned professionals in these competitions. It's not like Paris Saint-Germain where they chucked in two midfielders who had absolutely no experience, where the veteran in those two, mid, in, in those two midfielders is around, what, 22 years age? And the other one is a teenager. I feel sorry for guys like Gonzalo Hamsh. I think Gonzalo Hamsh is a very, very good uh, player, but he's just been given a wrong team and he's chosen a wrong team to play. It shouldn't have been United, who were asking for him as well. It shouldn't have been Paris Saint-Germain. He, he, he's someone who reminds me a lot about Olivier Giroud and he could be a very good facilitator for uh, a team like Paris Saint-Germain when they have Mbappe on that left-hand side, but it's just not going to be that. Um, I feel sorry for guys like Ashraf Hakimi, who was was really good. And even look at the build-up. He had to carry the ball so long. It's just not meant for him. It, it, I don't know why is he playing for that club. Why So many good players play for that club. Manuel Ugarte is a very, very good player. Saw him play a, long, a lot of times at Sporting. And uh, he, he, he was really, really good. But he's just a, not a good team to play for. Um, I feel sorry for Nuno Mendes. He's, he's going to be out for a long time, I think. He himself should be targeting the Euros now because it's been a high time and he's missed lots of big tournaments for, for Portugal and needs to, he needs to go big in the Euros. So I don't care what he does with Paris Saint-Germain and just get the move out of this freakish little club. I just don't want to see that team play there. But yeah, as I talked about Newcastle, they have got a bit between their teeth when it comes to the Champions League. I'm not so sure if they will go through into the knockouts if they do i think it's good but if they don't i don't think it's a disaster um there are teams who will be under pressure to go into the knockouts teams like milan teams like paris Saint germain and i think eventually they will uh i still think there will be away games against uh, teams like dortmund and paris Saint germain where we would see how the character strikes i think they were very lucky to get out of uh, the san siro with a point but it's not going to be very easy down the road. So we'll see what happens with Newcastle. As for Paris Saint-Germain, it's another disastrous night in Europe for them. So let's talk a little bit about Barcelona and their trip away to the Dragao to play Porto. It was a really interesting game, to be honest. It did not deserve to finish in a 1-0 uh, victory in the favour of Barcelona, that's for sure, because there were a lot of calls, a lot of calls which were against Porto. A lot of uh, chances which Porto did not fail to capitalise. Or, or, sh or, or should I say they failed to capitalise on that. I mean, I can count a number of them. I mean, the Galeno chance, uh, one that Teremi had. Pepe had a big chance where he was one-on-one -on -one against Ter Stegen. But then Jules Kunde made that brilliant challenge. Uh, the two penalty decisions, uh, I thought both of them were penalties. Uh, I mean... The one that, you know, he's on the line. It, it clearly is a penalty. And the other one, it's a clear tug of the shirt. And then Kunde goes across Taremi. And one thing that is for sure that, you know, Taremi is someone who does like to initiate contact. He does like to dive. This was a clear case of a penalty. But I think, you know, referees in many ways have um, notes of players who are very easy in diving. They go down very easily. They do try to manufacture a penalty out of absolutely nothing and Taremi is one of those guys and I think this time it worked against him so maybe a little bit of karma in that but surely that was a penalty and I'm not so sure what Anthony Taylor was doing or the VAR officials was doing were doing after all the fiasco between uh, the uh, Tottenham incident and whatnot but yeah it, it is what it is 
Porto really deserved a lot out of this game. They should have and would have won the game, to be honest. He, he, to, to be completely fair, you know, Sergio Conceição outthought Xavi. And it's, it's not really a controversial statement when I say that Sergio Conceição is a better manager than Xavi. It's, it's just... It is just not. He is a much more accomplished manager. He's a he's a more experienced manager. He knows a lot about these European nights than Xavi does. So, um, I think uh, there, there's a lot to look forward to for Xavi in European games. It's a very tough place to go at the Dragao and get these three points. So, kudos to Barcelona. But again, the mistake came in from a Porto player himself, and they got they got. They, they, they score. They could not. They, they scored that goal with Ferran Torres. But as I said, Barcelona. They were out thought. They were. They were, they were played off the park. I mean, Porto. I, I'm not so sure. Again, how did Porto not convert those chances? That one that Estacio had as well when he hit it straight to Ter Stegen. I mean, so many chances for Porto. That what he. I mean, Taremi scored a freaking bicycle goal, but it could not. It did not count because it was just millimeters offside and. The one negative thing that's come out of all of this is that Lewandowski is not going to be available for the Classico with the injury that he sustained. I'm not so sure that Ferran Torres is your bankable option as your number nine. It, it, it is a big concern now for Barcelona and for Xavi to navigate through this, through this difficulty of not having your main target man up front. So how will they cope with it? I don't know. But there is a serious, serious concern with their playing style as well because they are not really watertight defensively. Because look at the game against um, uh, against Celta de Vigo. A, a very intelligent guy like Barry Athbas will time and again open up that back line. João Cancelo is not a good defender. It was highlighted in that game against Mallorca. It was very much highlighted in that game against... Um, uh, again, it's Celta de Vigo, Vestran Larsson scored a goal from that, that sort of very range. And also, um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, but yeah, he, that, that other guy who was playing uh, from uh, from Celta de Vigo, he was also in that same area. But he, he, they completely tore apart Cancelo's defensive ac- uh, acumen. And I, I think there is a lot to look forward to for Cancelo. In terms of defensive, uh, in terms of defensive contributions, he's scoring goals, he's creating chances and whatnot, but he's not good defensively, and that will be exposed time and again. Um, uh, you also have to look at uh, the defense, and it's not been showing up goals. Uh, they have, there are certain weaknesses, even against Sevilla, they could not. There were some big chances for Sevilla in that game, and they could not score uh, with the. Um, with the Ocampos chance, uh, they, they had some chances, and even in the Celta Vigo game, at the end you had Oscar Mingueza who could have scored, or should have scored, but did not score. So yeah, there there are certain questions. They're not really watertight. They're not really convincing defensively. So yeah, it's it's just it's just a lot of baggage in there for Barcelona. I think there will be a ch- time where there will be a chain of games where Barcelona look unconvincing, and they do not get the desired results. And I think that that time is very, 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 very close for them. As far as for Porto, this was a much, this was a better performance. It was a better performance than the one they had against Benfica two or three weeks ago. Um, 
they have been very good in the league as well. They're not really at the top because Sporting have taken that place. Although Sporting uh, lost to Atalanta uh, in the midweek, of course, they did not have Gonzalo Inacio, um, not Gonzalo Inacio, but Sergio Quartz in that game to call upon. But this, again, for Porto, they had absentees as well. They did not have Tony Martinez. They did not play uh, Pepe because he was injured as well. So this just uh, shows as to how... Someone like a Sergio Conceição has to adapt as well. He he is also being riddled with injuries. It's not just uh, De Jong and Pedri for Barcelona. It's also for um, uh, it's it's also for Porto that they have to cope up with injuries. And you know there's a lack of investment in that squad as well, with which uh, Conceição has to deal with. He has dealt with it very very well for the last two or three years, and I think uh, that's detriment to his success there. At the club, he's been flirting all the way around with Italian clubs, but it's still not materialised for him. Uh, a move from a move away from Porto looks imminent. I think he's an elite level manager. He's got good experience in the Champions League of playing big games and winning big games in the Champions League. Of course, he knows how to navigate himself in European competitions and in the league as well, winning multiple Liga Portugal titles. So I think he is someone who will not be. Uh, Faced by a result like this, though a result like this would be absolutely tearing. He, he would be tearing his neck. I mean, he would be pulling his hair out. And he'd go, he's absolutely ballistic. He's got that anger issues with him. The thing is that he's, he's someone that he knows how to cope with adversity. He knows how to manage big situations. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Porto come up first in the group and they go actually away to Barcelona and get a, a positive result there. I, will, I would really not be surprised. I'm really happy to see the partnership between uh, Stefano Stacchio and uh, uh, Guillermo Varela and also uh, the other guy um, is in that team, the lonely from Barcelona, Nico Gonzalez. I think these three have got very good potential. Pep has not looked himself, the Pep from Brazil, uh, the Pep from Brazil as I said. Um, Vanderson Galeno, I think he's one to watch out for in the near future. I think he will have. He had a very, very good game, induced two or three saves from uh, uh, Ter Stegen as well, but uh, it was just not their night. I mean, when it's not your day, it's not your day. It, it's just as simple as that. But yeah, I think there is a lot to look forward for Porto, and it could be a possible banana skin for any big team in Europe if they make it through to that knockout stage, which will I, I think they will. So let's take a look at some of the big games from this week which happened in the Champions League and we had Inter against Benfica. On paper, very, very interesting European tie, but in reality, this game was just completely one-sided. Inter just wiped the floor out with Benfica. They were just amazing and Lautaro Martinez could have had a hat-trick on some other day. It was just a 1-0 scoreline in the end, but I mean... In reality, it was just too much in the end for uh, Benfica to take. Um, I, I know they were missing Antonio Silva when he got that unfortunate handball. I mean, it was it, it was within the laws of the game, but it was just unfortunate that he had to get that handball against Salzburg. But yeah, it was a miss. He was a miss in this game, and uh, he had to work. The, Benfica had to work it out. They have not been convincing, if you ask me. In Europe, even that game against Salzburg, they were just not good. But you got to see against Salzburg that they were going to give their all to get all three points in that game, even if though it meant that on the other end they could lose goals. And eventually they did, and they lost the goals, and they are now stuck on zero points after two games. But uh, in this game, it was just not, they were just not ready for this sort of uh, a game, a game of this magnitude. They were just not ready for it. And uh, there is a lot of pressure right now on uh, Di Maria, uh, because... 
everything good that comes through this Benfica side, it has to go through Di Maria. There's a big problem in that midfield, and I think there needs to be uh, Florentin Luis coming back into that into that starting eleven. There has to be a sort of a midfield combin a midfield balance, right? Because I know Joel Neves is a very very good midfielder, but he does not do the things that Florentin Luis gives you as well. Uh, I think Joel Neves would be very very good uh, and alongside someone like a. Um, Florentin Luis and I think you need to give Orkun Koksu a very much a free role because he's got so much to his game and I think he is not really up, unlocking his full potential while he's playing in that in the, in that pip, in that double pivot role uh, as far as uh, uh, the attack goes I think uh, guys like Petar Musa and Rafa Silva they, and Joe Mario they're really surplus to requirements right now I mean I know Joe Mario uh, did hit the post once against Salzburg and stuff like that, but it's just not good enough. I think they need to rethink a bit. Uh, you need to... It, it's it's a continuation of the form that they had in the la- back end of last season where they were just not convincing me enough. Um, but now they've got the opportunity to uh, ride the season home again. They are in. They are where they are in the league because of what they have been doing. Uh, sporting are where they are because of the brilliance of Ruben Amorim and the results that he's getting. Uh, so there needs to be a real inspection of what they need to do next because the games against Real Sociedad are not going to be easy. You saw what Real Sociedad did to Salzburg away from home in Austria. So um, it's not going to be easy. Salzburg are not an easy team to play. Home and away, it's going to be very tricky. And I would be very surprised if uh, so. If Real Sociedad... I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Real Sociedad do not get away with uh, all three points in either one of those games against Benfica. Um, but I mean, for Inter, I think Inter were brilliant. They made a few changes to their team, but in all honesty, I think Inter was just amazing to watch. They just played so so well. Um, uh, you have to say uh, the goal from uh, Marcus Tur- Marcus Turam is really becoming a fan favorite now at uh, at the at the Meazza. Um, Simone Inzaghi is really playing this one really well because he knows Napoli is in a bit of a in, in a bit of a crisis mode. Milan are not really being convincing. They had a good start of the season, but they are not convincing right now. They have had two goalless draws in Europe. Even in the league, they thrashed them 5-1 uh, at the Meazza in the Milan derby. So it's it's going to be very interesting. They are the team in form right now in Italy, and by far they have the best squad in Italy as well. Simone Inzaghi is a very good manager. So I think they, they need to ride this one. I think they will finish top of the group. The games against Real Sociedad. I think they, they really got out of jail in that first game away in San Sebastian uh, in that game because Real Sociedad was just amazing. And to be honest, if you look at this entire Champions League, um, what do you say? In the entire Champions League, yeah, uh, um, I mean, entire Champions League match days, the two match days. Real Madrid, Man City and you would say Real Sociedad are the third team which have looked very convincing. I know they've played Inter and Salzburg and in by no means they are easy teams to play. Eh? But um, the way they played against Salzburg, the first half, the first 15-20 minutes, they were just amazing to watch. Praiz, Mendes, uh, you look at Mikel Erzabal, you look at Take Kubo and all these other guys, Barenshia, Mikel Merino, Zubimendi and all these guys, they have got wealth of abundance in talent going forward. And even defensively, they look so good. Um, 
I think they're one of the teams to watch out for, even with the defence that they've got on paper, it looks unconvincing. But surely they've got a lot about that team. With Traore, we've got, uh, we've got some really good players in there. The, the Loney from Arsenal, the Scottish player, the name escapes me. Kiarantini, yes, uh, he is there, Robin Lenormand. Um, has been really good as well. So they've got some really nice players in that team and they can pack a punch. They have got a bit between their teeth as well. So it will be very interesting to see if they get out of this group. And I'll be very surprised, given the current form in Europe, that Real Sociedad don't go out of this group into the Champions League round of 16 uh, ahead of Benfica. It's just what I think. Uh, uh, moving on, uh, Dortmund against Milan. A very big game, a heavyweight clash yet again. And... Um, this was, again, very unconvincing. Dortmund not really that great in the league this, this time around. But though they are unbeaten and they have just lost one game this season, that was away in Paris uh, to Paris Saint-Germain. I would be very surprised if Dortmund go out of the, uh, get out of this group. And um, I mean, I'd be very surprised if they do uh, go into Europe for the second half of the season. Um, I thought there were some really uh, good positives in this game. Uh, especially with uh, Saliostjan, I think he's a very good player. They have not been able to use him yet. Um, I think there was uh, a big positive with uh, Nico Schlotterbeck there. Uh, there was positives with uh, uh, Benson Baini coming to the fore. It's just not many goals in there. Marco Royce has stepped up time and again for this uh, Dortmund side, but it's just not. It's just not enough for this team. Uh, Sebastian Allaire has lost his touch. Um, Marlon and Adiemi, I don't know how sustainable that front line is. There are a lot of holes in this Dortmund side, and I think with Bellingham out, they've lost a leader, they've lost a character in there. Matt Sommels, it was a good performance by him against Giroud in this game, a positive one at that. Um, but apart from that, it's, it just looks very unconvincing to the eye. They've lost a couple of good players in that team. Again, Rafa Guerrero, Jude Bellingham has gone... It's, it, it does not look right. It just does not look right. As for Milan, another sorry story for them. The, the limitation of that squad. Calabria, uh, you've got... Uh, I mean, Cal Calabria just does just, just not cut the mustard for me in this team. Uh, they've got some good players. They've made some really nice signing in Tiani Reinders and um, Christian Pulisic, who's pulling up his way, playing on the right wing. Uh, Rafael Leao, another unconvincing performance by him. Uh, away from home in the Champions League when it mattered the most. He did score against Fiorentina. If the, I'm right, the team that they played at the weekend was Fiorentina. But yeah, he did score at the weekend, the only goal. But yeah, it's just it's just very unconvincing. This game was not the game that you want to watch for. Milan against Dortmund, you would think that it's a brilliant game. It's a game where you would like to look forward to, but it just was not. And, and I think uh, the next games for Dortmund against Newcastle... I mean, if you look at it, if you play this well, Dortmund can't beat Newcastle home in a way. And I'm not going up against uh, the form right now and stuff like that. But it really get interesting in this, in this one. Uh, moving on, it was Lens against Arsenal in, uh, in France. And uh, Lens did pack a punch. It was a very good game for them. Uh, yeah, Gabriel Jesus scored that goal for Arsenal. And it really took that well. But the big story for Arsenal in this one is... Uh, the injury to Bukayo Saka, given the fact that they have to play Man City at the weekend. It does not look right for them. I'd be surprised if Saka starts uh, in the game against uh, against City at the weekend. So, 
it's there's, there's a lot of loopholes in there, so we'll see what happens. As far as uh, Leipzig are concerned and City are concerned, they were up against each other in Germany in the Red Bull Arena, where Man City managed to beat Leipzig by three goals to one. Julian Alvarez masterclass in that one. I mean, it was just amazing. He's been amazing to watch, isn't he? And uh, well, what is what is Pep doing with all those players? I don't know. I don't understand. But uh, yeah, it's uh, he was he was amazing in this game. Uh, um, I would say they have not been really the driving force, a city that they are. Uh, I won't be surprised if they lose again this weekend against Arsenal, a well oiled Arsenal. And for Arsenal, I would like to say one thing. Please start Fabio Vieira. Come on. I mean, stop giving this pity goals to Kai Havertz. I know he's got talent and he's got potential. He might have had a potential or not. But... Uh, Fabio Vieira needs to start. He needs to be in that starting eleven. He needs, he, he needs to be given confidence more than uh, Kai Havertz. I just don't understand what is it. Um, just the Kai Havertz experience is just you know, pissing me off. Really, come on. Um, are there any more games we need to talk about? I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Bayern against Copenhagen. I, I would be really worried if I met United because Copenhagen did really give them a very good fight. And the fact that... Teams like Sevilla, Borussia Dortmund and Manchester City have gone away to Denmark in the Parken Arena and have not managed to register a victory there. Says a lot about that area and, and that crowd and that team. So, you know, if uh, United, when they're going away in Copenhagen, it might just be another story where we are here to say to them, you know, it's, 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 it might just be another bad story in the Chronicles of Manchester United. So... We'll see what happens there. As for Bayern, they had to take, they had to dig deep. Uh, they had to get uh, some chances away. They, they gave chances away. Elinusi could have had two or three goals easily uh, in that uh, Copenhagen side. Uh, they did score a goal, a very unselfish play in the end by Thomas Muller to give that to uh, uh, Matisse Tell, who's scoring two winners in two Champions League games for 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 Bayern Munich. I mean, it's really funny, but yeah, Dortmund, uh, you Bayern are going to go away. Uh, against uh, Galatasarang, they're going to get victories there as well. So there's not much to talk about this one. They're going to finish top of the group. It's it's just as simple as that. Atletico Madrid, on the other hand, were up against uh, a very, very good Feyenoord side, Adacivitas Metropolitano. They were playing really well, Feyenoord. Scored two goals. The one from Kevin Hansko was very well taken in the end after uh, Oblak made that save, initial save, but... I would say Atletico, they need to brush themselves up very well because I think the game against Lazio was a bit of a uh, bit of a heartache for them. Yeah, Providel scored that brilliant goal, but uh, I thought uh, Atletico really played well in that one and deserved a lot more than just a point in that game. Um, I would say uh, even in this game, I think they played really well in the second half, but the first half was a bit concerning. Uh, as a sh- uh, uh, as far as uh, Arnest Lot and Feyenoord go, they were just amazing to watch in the first half. Guys like Timber and Pashao and Stengs and I can go along. Um, who's the other guy? You know, Mats Viefer played really well. Kevin Hansko, we know about Hertuida uh, as well. It's just so many good players. And then you still have to get along with uh, Santi Jimenez, who will be coming back in the next game in the Champions League. He's still serving up European suspension. Or will he be back? I'm not so sure. Um, I, 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 he should be back for the next game against uh, Lazio, home and away. And I think if they get... I think there's a serious chance now for Feyenoord to get through in this group because I don't think Lazio are convincing enough. They did not play in the weekend as well in the Serie A. They are not really pu- uh, packing a punch in this uh, Champions League uh, 
were tight as well. They had a late winner against Celtic with Pedro scoring that goal. But it's just so unconvincing from uh, from from them. And I think Feyenoord might just get sneak into that Champions League spot uh, come at the end of uh, at the end of November. So um, I think it could be very interesting to see how that pans out. As far as uh, uh, as far as uh, uh, Atletica are con- concerned, I think they made a bunch of changes. They're still missing Pablo Barrios, who I think has been brilliant for them. He played so well against Lazio as well in on match day one. Um, th- there's a lot to look forward to. Koke has pulled his weight up brilliantly. Saul is playing really well. You look at guys like Molina and uh, Marcus Llorente. Marcus Llorente did not play in this game, but yeah, Molina played really well. Griezmann was brilliant as well up in this game. He was fantastic in the uh, at the weekend as well. Um, I'm escaping the opponent that they played, but yeah, he hit the post once or twice. He was brilliant as well in that game. So there's not much to talk about Atletico Madrid. I think they have been really good this season. I think this one was a bit tough for them because final not an easy side to play up against. But yeah, you know, all ends. It it's well. All, I mean, I don't know what that proverb is, but it is what it is. So that's it from me in the Champions League from this weekend, uh, or, or not from this week. Um, we will be back up in the international break if something comes along. If not, then yeah, we'll be back up after the international break. Some very good fixtures to look forward to in the Champions League and also in your uh, in uh, in in the uh, leagues across Europe. Uh, but until then, this was a host of Mayuresh Matkar. Thank you very much. Cheerio.